Hello, human family. I'm Jocelyn, and I am grateful you're here. Welcome to the Starting with Gratitude podcast. This is a safe space intended to host heart-centered conversations exploring all topics of the human and spiritual experience. Every conversation starts with gratitude and remains rooted in gratitude. After you listen, make sure to join the community by subscribing and sharing. I am so happy you have joined us. Hello, Ana Lilia. Hi, Jocelyn. How is your heart doing in this moment? My heart is holding different emotions. It's feeling happy because I just finished holding space for a client, doing a private session. It's feeling excited for the upcoming events I have. And then it's also holding grief right now Mm. from my old relationship. And it's interesting to just kind of sit with a little bit of everything in the moment Mm -hmm. um, and telling certain emotions. Okay, right now I can feel you. I acknowledge you, but right now I need to lean into this. So I'll take care of you later. Mm -hmm. Hang in there. (laughs) Let me show up for the other stuff first. Um, But I've been noticing, and I feel like, you know, we just had a full moon and just the other things that are going on that it's like, a general contraction that has happened recently Mm -hmm. that I'm that's in my heart right now and that's okay yeah yeah thank you for sharing that and before we continue to expand on that and dive into our conversation I'm gonna have you share with us what it is that you feel grateful for I'm thinking a lot about this and what kept coming up was grateful for the family my soul chose to be a member of in this lifetime. Mm. It has not been an easy life. And for so many years, I resented the challenges and the traumas and didn't think it was fair that other people seem to have it so easy. Mm. Um, But looking back or where I am now in my life, I am so grateful for all of those experiences, even the really challenging ones, because it has shaped me and who I am now. Mm. And from those experiences, there's been a lot of gifts and qualities that I have that once I did the healing work on them, so it wasn't just like an automatic trauma response, I've been able to use them for good and to help a lot of people. So I'm really grateful for that, for choosing my family. I love that. Do you feel like you have been aligning with your soul family progressively over the years? Or do you feel like as of recently, you've really been coming to alignment with them? With each family member, I'm in a different place. But um, last year, in during the pandemic, my dad relapsed in his sobriety of 30 years. And it gave our family the opportunity to have honest conversations about our family dynamic mm-hmm. and to no longer just go about as everything's fine and there's just so much love and kind of ignoring the passive aggressiveness that's always happening or the anxiety, you know, the mental illness in my family. And that actually, even though it was really hard and painful that it had to happen that way, I was also able to see how the healing that I started 10 years ago 
when it was put down by my family, where I felt abandoned by them, where I didn't feel heard, they are starting to come around and take ownership of their actions and behavior and how it affects others, taking back their power as well and not blaming or playing victim. So it's been a really, recently I've had the moment to look at my family through that lens Mm -hmm. of growth, of compassion, a lot more compassion. Our family are our biggest lessons. Mm -hmm. They hold such a big mirror in front of us if we choose to look at it and see ourselves in it. And that's not easy to do. And it's so easily we're able to get triggered. And if you have tools, I have a ton of tools. I, they kind of just go out the window when you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. But just being gentle with myself as well and reminding myself I'm not perfect and that it's okay and that I can recover a lot quicker. And again, just like, hard leaning into compassion and seeing them as also just the human that they are Mm -hmm. in addition to the title that they have in our family. Mm -hmm. That's actually something that really helped me heal my relationships with my family and like specifically like with my mom, because I feel like growing up, I, I had, you know, put her on this pedestal, I guess, or upheld her to this title of mother and what a mother should be and what she should look like and how she should respond and how she should take care of me and all of these, you know, responsibilities that we uphold to the title of mother. And when they don't show up is that, you know, we start to build resentment and we start to create this strenuous relationship with them. And as I, you know, was diving into my own healing, I was able to acknowledge, you know, the humanness in each of my family members. And with my mom specifically, like coming to the knowing that she has her own healing journey and we all are coming into it at our own pace. And, you know, that conscious awareness is very healing in like navigating, like, how you are in relationship with your family. And I'm glad that we're talking about this because when I was like, you know, like looking through your work and like, you know, outlining our conversation, I stumbled upon the Instagram live that you did with your dad. And I think that's so beautiful that he was willing to have that conversation, not only with you, but also to the public and share his story on his sobriety and how the pandemic affected him. And it brought me back to like, you know, the beginning of the pandemic and remembering like, you know, it really did trigger a lot of depression for people. And it did trigger, you know, these habits and ways of being that you know, perhaps they were trying to overcome or they were overcoming because we were, you know, forced into isolation. We were, you know, so many things that like brought us to ourselves. And I wanted to expand a bit more on that. And, you know, you bringing up how 
even though it was a hard time, it also triggered the healing journey for all of you. So how was that, you know, experience if you're open to sharing a bit more? So during the summer of 2021, my dad went to rehab for the second time in his life. And it got really scary again, where, you know, he was having suicide ideation, and he just was ready to give up. Luckily, he didn't. And so he was in recovery for 30 days, and he actually celebrated his 71st birthday in recovery. It's a really humbling experience to go through when you're of that age and you're not with your family. And during the time that he was in his program, they also offered family therapy. So that was really helpful to have a safe place for everyone to feel like they can speak and be heard because that's something that doesn't happen in our family. Afterwards, my mom also during that time started her own therapy, which was really exciting because she also suffers from a lot of anxiety and insomnia and um, has a lot of trauma. And the biggest thing that I had to come to terms with afterwards, you know, with my dad then leaving his recovery center, he stayed with me and my sister here in Los Angeles for about a month for it to be his halfway house. And then afterwards, go back to my mom, and he lives with one of my sisters out in Monterey County. Mm-hmm. And once he went back, I had to surrender my own expectations as well and recognize because basically my mom quit her therapy right away mm-hmm. and said, I don't need it. Yo estoy bien. A mí no me afecta. Mm-hmm. And I felt heartbroken because I'm like, we just went through this whole experience and you're like throwing it away. And then another sister, you know, just never started her therapy. And like, these are the two core people in the the physical environment where my dad ended up having his relapse in sobriety. Right. Um, So I'm like, how is anything going to change if the dynamic doesn't change? If like the environment stays exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So I really had to remind myself it's not my life. It's not my journey. I showed up how I could during this process. I shared my resources. My community helped me find this recovery center. I found therapists for people, but you can't force people to do the work. Same with my own clients. As a breathwork coach, intuitive healer, I have a one-on-one coaching program where you have a free 30-minute clarity call with me where you share what's going on. We move, we start to do a mini healing session and then you decide whether or not we can, you want to work together. And it's so interesting. There's, there's steps to it. First is going to the website, right? And like, is this program right? Then it's making the appointment. Mm -hmm. I have so many people that don't show up to the free 30 minute call. Mm -hmm. And it used to kind of upset me. And then I just realized, you know what? They're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. It scared them. It, they're already moving energy. There's others that show up for the call. They have an amazing like breakthrough, tears, clarity. And then I never hear from them again. Mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of another reflection. It's like the people who are ready Mm -hmm. to look at themselves because it takes courage because you no longer can blame others Mm. because you have to take ownership of your life and choose to do things differently, to create pauses so that you're not having automatic 
reactions, trauma reactions, so that you're able to respond to a situation, so that you're able to create boundaries, to communicate, advocate for yourself. It's very courageous work. And not everyone is ready for it. And I believe that souls have different agents. And some people are brand new to planet Earth and it's fucking scary. Mm -hmm. And like, they don't know, they're just like in survival mode. And then there's other people, other souls who are older. And I feel like, I feel, I put myself in that category where it's like, we're ready. We don't want to continue repeating the same mistakes. Like I want to upgrade. What else can I do? Yeah. And so that's, it's coming. I've had to come to terms to that. And so it helped that I already had that practice within my own work, line of work, and then putting that into practice with my family mm-hmm. and surrendering and just hope, not even hoping, but just giving them love and letting them know that no matter what, I'm here for them, but also then being protective of my own energy mm-hmm. and not just giving it away. And so, um, you know, I have chosen to kind of limit how much I talk to my mom because it is stressful interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I feel like there's an underlying knowing that there's just a lot of love. It's just that everybody's different. Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of giving each other spaces. And my parents, it's taken them a long time to accept that as well within me because I am very different than my siblings. I am the oldest. I beat the drum to my own beat. Like I'm just, I don't live a traditional Mexican-American life. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have kids and I'm 41. I'm separated, getting divorced. Like just, I don't own a house, you know, just like the goals that my parents had for me. Right, right. Failed them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's been, I think with, with all of us, you know, you either kind of accept or you continue to hold on and drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that a lot of like inner child work has come into play with that as well. And like, I love that you touched on like acknowledging what is and isn't your responsibility. And I feel like growing up under these kinds of circumstances with our families, we can, you know, feel, especially as someone who like maybe, you know, extra empathic or is naturally a healer, you feel the need to take on responsibility to help someone or to guide someone or to awaken someone or heal someone. And I'm sure that, you know, last year you were able to connect with that inner child and you're able to like do a lot of self-soothing and affirming. Did that come up for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually another gift that came from that situation where I was able to witness that the healing that I've done with my inner child has really worked because she didn't feel she was sad. She was worried, but she no longer felt responsible for his sobriety Mm -hmm. and didn't feel that my, our dad, my dad choosing to drink again, it wasn't an act of him saying, I don't love you. Mm -hmm. I used to, as a child, feel like my dad doesn't love me because he's drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, He's trying to kill himself. He's hurting himself. He's hurting us. He doesn't care about us. Mm. And then I was actually asked by my dad to help him. And I was seven years old. I had no idea what he meant by that. I just knew that things were really scary at the household. 
And so as a child, I interpreted that like, oh my gosh, I have to be like the perfect daughter. I can't fight with my sisters. I'm going to do everything right. I'm not going to do anything that's going to upset him because he was always an angry drunk. And so that carried on, even though, even when he became sober, like that perfectionism, that role that I was given of like taking care of my parents and my sisters and figuring things out, even though I was a child. But many of us go through that when we have parents who are immigrants and don't speak the language and they depend on us to translate for them and make decisions, even though we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so it was great to experience this time around that I wasn't activated in that way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't panicked and I was able to, I had a clear contrast by witnessing my sister who is three years younger than me, um, whom I live with. Her inner child was so activated by my dad's relapse and sobriety. She was starting to have panic attacks. Um, she crying all the time, like physical manifestations. And she's not, she's done some healing work, but not to the extent that I have. And so it was really interesting to just kind of step back and and witness like, wow, okay, there's our inner childs are receiving the information in a different way. And Mm -hmm. there's no judgment in her. Like I had a love and compassion and I was, you know, helping her like, how can I support you giving her some suggestions, but highly recommend if you haven't tapped into connected with your inner child to start with that, because no matter where you are in your healing journey, whether you're starting out or well in it advanced, our inner child always needs love and always wants mm-hmm. to know that they're safe, that they can trust us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it's, it was a really blessing to witness that. And to yeah. See that she, she does feel safer now. Yeah. As we, you know, kind of touched on in the beginning with your expression of gratitude and you sharing how, you know, you're grateful for the family your soul chose and acknowledging that, you know, when we choose our family, whether it's blood or non, you know, we choose them for certain lessons that will help us develop our soul. What do you feel are the teachings from your father to you? Like, what do you think are the lessons that you're meant to learn from him? My father has taught me that we absolutely have the choice to change our life. And I saw him when he chose the first time to stop drinking. I saw when he chose to stop smoking cold turkey to, I saw him like advocate for himself. He worked in as a building maintenance, like doing the building maintenance for a company. And then on the weekends, he would do yard work. And, you know, that tends to be kind of an exploitative job where they're paid very little money, but he knew his worth. And he demanded like $20 an hour, which is unheard of for someone Mm -hmm. cutting, uh, you know, the grass. Yeah. And my mom would like criticize him. And my mom has a lot of Uh, money blocks and fear of money Mm. and judgment around it. And so it was interesting to, to see the dynamic where my dad's like advocating for that and recognizing his worth and then having the judgment. So I'm very much, I learned that from him and I do the same. And it's something that I help my clients with as well to advocate for themselves, to remind them that they're worthy of it, deserving um, to work on their confidence, but it's so powerful just to see the strength of your mind 
it can also be debilitating. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the extremes on mm-hmm. how sometimes the mind can take you to a, a really dark abyss. Mm-hmm. And yet there is a will inside of us that we can access as well to help us lift us out. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously having support helps, but I saw a lot of, I've witnessed a lot of strength in my dad and courage. And I'm so grateful for that because I definitely apply it into my soul's experience mm-hmm. day to day. Yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? Am I really, <laughs> am I really going for this? Um, you know, just being a, an entrepreneur and not having a security net and all of that, but staying focused and believing in myself and my soul's mission and and trusting that that's what's going to provide. And that's something also that I witness in my dad. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And you, you know, I can definitely re- relate with you on like, you know, us coming from Mexican families and a lot of these topics that we're talking about now, like even if we were to have the conversation we're having now would be very uncomfortable <laughs> for like, you know, I, I'll speak for my family like it, it would be like feel kind of awkward or like, you know, you, you could read, you know, their their body language of like kind of like closing up. And I'm glad that, you know, the opportunities to open up that have showed up for you and your family have taken place because that's very healing, even if it's like, you know, just, you know, for a moment or a season and it comes in waves, like it, the, the progress is, is progress, you know, even if it stops for a bit and, and comes back, you know, through another experience. And it does require someone to take the first step. Mm -hmm. And that's scary Mm -hmm. because yeah, a lot of times, most of our family, like we, they don't want to confront. They don't want to change. Like it's also just natural. Like our brain wants to be stuck in the same, like it knows, even though it may be terrible the situation you're at, but at least it knows what to expect. And it thinks that it's keeping you safe that way. Mm-hmm. And so anything outside of that, any disruption, it's like danger, danger, danger. And so don't be surprised if you're the brave one that like shines eye, like, hey, maybe we should do things differently or maybe we should talk about this, that you feel attacked or that you feel shut down because their brain is telling them like, this is an attack. We need to keep things away. We know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it takes patience and maybe different ways of communicating, maybe starting to one by one to create some allies. And uh, it's it's a whole process, but it definitely, if you're able to do it, it's just so powerful and healing. And it then we're doing generational healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that something else that came up for you last year in a post that I saw is that you began connecting more with your femininity oh, and yes. your feminine energy mm-hmm. and I wanted to expand a bit more on that and ask you what that has looked like for you, because I also experienced the same um, that like started towards like the end of 2020 when I started doing womb healing without really knowing that it was womb healing. So what did you connecting with your femininity look like? Well, growing up, witnessing 
the females in my family and the type of life that they had, it just, it was hard. It, they didn't have their own personal freedom. They were told what to do. And I witnessed that as a child. I'm like, I don't want that. Like, no, that looks awful. And so my masculine energy, it not just that's awful. It was like, that's unsafe. Mm-hmm. And so unconsciously as a child, I equated being a female is unsafe. And so my masculine energy just took over. And so I've been very uh, in charge and even physically in the way that I dress, like growing up Catholic as well and having really conservative grandparents, grandma and mom, like my mom never wore makeup or anything like that. But I remember watching TV, like when Luis Miguel and his videos were on and and my grandma being like, ay Dios mío, like que eso, you know, criticizing the mini skirts. And so I just like, kind of learn like, oh, that's bad. Like Mm. being sexy is bad. Wearing makeup is, is bad. And then also like in elementary school where I'm a very petite woman, I don't, not curvy at all. And witnessing like in sixth grade where my peers, some of the girls started to develop and then them all of a sudden being sexually harassed by the boys like then that was evidence again for my brain to be like see being female being in your feminine is not safe and so there was like all this evidence of programming that I've been living with my whole life of why it's not safe to be in your feminine and recently I and and part of it has been you know ending my marriage and kind of exploring like well what what does it mean being a woman, what would it feel like to be in this softer energy of feeling safe enough to be held, to trust, to be open? And so I've been starting to play with that. I manifested someone into my life that's able to hold space for that. And it's been really interesting to, I'm just in the exploring stages to see like, what does that look like? What am I comfortable with? and to not judge it and it's like in the moment i'm just feeling limiting beliefs those old programming like coming up judging it putting labels on it so i i feel like i'm in a constant battle Mm -hmm. but basically what i'm doing is reprogramming Mm -hmm. and starting to build a new evidence bank of how being in your feminine is powerful is an easier way to manifest, mm-hmm. an easier way to receive, um, that it's not giving away your power necessarily, that there is a healthy dynamic exchange of energy that can happen, that I don't have to abandon my masculine just because I'm stepping into my feminine, that they can co- coexist. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun and overwhelming at times. And I'm just curious and excited to continue exploring that and to see how it unfolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been interesting for me to, to like dive even deeper into the perspective of like observing my masculine and my feminine and when each of them decide to show up and how they can come into union, you know, within myself and observing how, you know, the lack of 
you know, the masculine showing up within me the way I needed it to, I saw outside of me or like the lack of femininity showing up with me manifested, you know, insecurity outside of me. So I was just curious about like, you know, asking you how your journey has been with that. So thank you for sharing. Cause I feel there, there, it's been really interesting for me to have these conversations with people, especially in the past couple of years, because I've noted that so many of us are actually experiencing such similar journeys. And a lot of us have been awakening, you know, our, you know, femininity and masculinity and, and a lot of women who, you know, are women of color, you know, are children of immigrants, are, you know, black, brown, we do have the tendency to have more masculinity within us and a suppressed feminine because, you know, we've had to protect and we've had to, you know, so yeah, that's a whole healing journey in and of itself. And, you know, you being the oldest sibling too, there's also, you know, kind of coming back to placing these titles and the responsibilities that come with these titles the older sister, I feel, especially like in Mexican families is like the protector and she's like the example and she has to be, you know, and you, as, and, and also I feel the oldest sibling experiences the, the less, I guess, refined experience version of the parents because you're the first child. Yeah. I had a lot of resentment. My youngest sisters, they're twins and they're seven years younger. So they, they didn't even really remember my dad drinking by the time that they were older. My parents had a little bit more money where they were able, my sisters were able to do like the music classes that I was never able to do. And Mm. some of the things, you know, they were able to just experience other things that I didn't and not have all of the responsibilities that I did. And so for so long, I had so much resentment towards them. Um, that was part of my healing that I had, not that I had to do, that I did. Um, and then like write an, an amends letter to them, like apologize to them and take ownership for being such a mean sister, because this is what I experienced. We assume that our family members know what we went through just because we were all living in the same house. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up in a small thousand square foot house with six people in it. But everybody has a completely different version. Mm-hmm. Not as a version, it's just like their own experience. And so when you start to open up and share like, oh, well, this is how I saw it, or this is how I experienced it. This is how I felt it. This is how I remember. It just shines light. And for them, it, it brings context and understanding. And it's like, oh, and it makes them realize, oh, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. whatever they were going through it's her own trauma and it doesn't really have to do anything with me mm-hmm. that's really healing as well mm-hmm. I, I think that's one aspect of why I appreciate honest conversations so much because is because it awakens you to like the own assumptions that you created, the own stories you created within yourself about that person or about how you're in relation to that person or vice versa. And then you realize like, oh, you know, like we all, 
experience this in our own way and are perceiving the situation in our own way. And I shouldn't take this personal, like this wasn't on me, like the way that I thought. So yeah, I, I appreciate and value honest conversations so much and feel like it's one of the most healing things that we can do with our relationships with others. And, you know, kind of expanding a bit more on you being the oldest sibling and your experience with your family and in our culture and you being different, you choosing to not, you know, abide by what our cultural expectations of how your life should look like or how you should experience your life should be in choosing differently. When did that really show up for you in your life where you had to really make your own decisions and really choose differently? When do you recall like those seasons of your life coming up in your adulthood? As an adult? Mm -hmm. Well, as a teenager, like end of, towards the end of high school, just going to college, like my parents just wanted me to stay. I'm from Napa. They wanted me to go to the JC and then maybe transfer to Sonoma State and then get a job back in Napa and do the whole thing. And I'm like, no, I might be going to LA. I got accepted to UCLA or I got accepted to UC Berkeley or, you know, I got accepted to every school that I uh, applied to. And they were just like, how are you going to be living out of the house? Like, that's just unfathomable. Like, you should live in the house and then drive, commute to school. And I'm like, what? No. And um, I just have a personality where I care what people think, but I just do what's best for me because it's this fire inside of me. Literally, if I do something that I'm not aligned with or just isn't right, my whole body reacts to it. I like mm-hmm. cry. I just, it's, it just makes me think of when I moved to LA after college and I had a job, I was working in PR, Spanish PR for, um, actually, uh, Pitbull was our client mm-hmm. when like before he was Pitbull <laughs> and I fucking hated working in PR. I was like, what is this? Like, this is how our news is made. Like publicists calling reporters and telling them what story to write. Like, the curtain was just being pulled. I lost my innocence and I'm like, this is not right. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, like three months later I was fired and I was so happy because every morning when I would have to wake up to go to work, I would cry and I would feel terrible and I would feel depressed. Um, so I just can't do something that isn't right for Mm -hmm. me for too long. Like I, get fired or like something happens and it's just such a blessing. So I just, yeah, really tap into my intuition. And there's been so many times as well, where people tell me what you're trying to do is not going to happen. Like it's impossible. You don't have the, the SAT scores for that. You don't have this, you don't have the experience, but when I am so sure and aligned and I have no blocks around, I'm like, 
I don't even know how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And it happens. Yeah. And so that's just kind of how I have lived my life. Um, and it's it's been really magical and it's not easy either. It sounds like it could be easy, but it's not because there's a lot of stuff that you have to navigate as well. But yeah, I, I'm so grateful for that quality of just, it's almost like being stubborn. <laughs> yeah. And, and just doing you. It's like, no, this is what I got to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I always use as a gauge for myself growing up Catholic and being Mexican. My parents always talked about death since I was a child. Si me muero, like this is going to happen. Right. Um. So I have always used death as a gauge for myself. And I ask myself often, if I were to die tomorrow, is there anything that I would regret? And it's a really quick way to let myself know how authentically I'm living my life, what needs to change, what have I outgrown, what do I want to work on and call in. And I really, I use that all the time to bring me back to my center, to bring me back on path, on my path. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also been a really helpful reflection question for myself. Mm hmm. I love that you aren't like afraid or timid of, you know, reflecting on death or using death as a teacher, because I really stand by that, you know, death is one of the greatest teachers that we have. I feel like when we experience death immediately or, or within our circle, our family, our friends will really feel like the impact of it and we start turning inward and we start reflecting and you know sobering to the reality of how fleeting and fragile and miraculous and temporary life is and we start reflecting on our own lives but then that feeling kind of fades away it's like we distance ourselves from that experience and then we experience something again with death and then that comes back up but I feel like if we carry the truth and like don't ignore, turn a blind eye to death because it's such an uncom uncomfortable topic for so many people, it keeps you in alignment like it has for you. It like puts things in a perspective of like, okay, am I satisfied with how I'm living my life? You know, would I have any regrets if God forbid something were to happen to me tomorrow or in an hour from now? That also gives birth to new stuff mm -hmm. because you are reflecting on that dichotomy like mm -hmm. light and dark and in regards to you coming into the wellness industry and you choosing that path I'm guessing you know I'm aware that so many life experiences contributed to aligning you to arriving to this but was there like a spiritually awakening moment that you had to where that season of your life after you awakened, perhaps it was the first time you experienced breath work and everything changed for you and your whole life just started to shift. Yeah. Did you experience that? And if you did, I how did. was that? So I had started doing um, psychotherapy and I had a really great therapist. I was doing a specific type of therapy called intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, which in addition to the talk part, it was body informed. 
So my therapist would always bring me back to my body. What does your body feel? What's going on? Is there an emotion that your body's holding on to? And that was really fascinating mm-hmm. to, to be connected with, to connect my mind and my body. Um, and from there, that's where I started to do the inner child healing. And then from there, while I was doing that work, a friend of mine talked to me about a healer. I didn't even know what a healer was. But she went to get a facial, but it turned out that the esthetician is also a healer. So my friend was like crying while she was getting her facial Uh and she was feeling body temperature changes. And I actually, we had a a lunch date scheduled right after that appointment. And she's like, oh my God, you're the perfect friend to tell what I just experienced. And I was so intrigued. I'm like, this is really interesting. So I made an appointment with her and um, I have never had anyone basically read like a complete stranger read me mm-hmm. and everything that she was saying was so validating and true. And physically I was feeling shifts in my body. I felt at one point that I was levitating. I left my session feeling so much lighter and energetic. And while I was walking down the street, I could feel people turning to look at me. And it's not because of how I looked. It was because my vibration, like energetically, I was just buzzing. I was high. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very curious person and I love learning. And so I got home and I'm like, can I do this for myself, by myself? So I laid on the ground and I dropped in. Granted, I had never met it. Well, actually, when I was at UC Berkeley, I did take a semester of meditation class, but I was so not ready for it. Like I would see people in the class with their eyes rolled back and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> this is scary. I'm just going to sit here on the grass and I don't know, watch the birds. So then fast forward, I don't even know how many years, 15 years to drop after one session, be on the floor and my body involuntarily starting to move and do its own things. And then I just in that trance like state, I was asking questions like, why is my leg moving? And then I would get a message like, oh, the angels are stretching you. And I know all of this sounds insane, Mm. but it was almost as if my worlds were coming together because growing up Catholic, like I was so religious as a child up until a teenager. And I would talk to angels when I was a child and connect with them and, and pray. And so it felt actually like having this healing experience And having angels come through felt like an easier transition because there were beings that I was already familiar with and that I trusted. And so that really helped. That was a huge, that was my awakening basically. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I just continued exploring different modalities. And then breathwork was one of the later ones that I came across and What I loved about it, again, it brought, I felt like it brought me back to my power because even though you're working with a practitioner, you're doing the majority of the work. You're actively breathing, you're receiving messages, you're feeling things. And so I loved that. I felt empowered. I couldn't believe that by manipulating my breath, I was able to change the way that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just fell in love with it. And I was like, oh my God, I need to, I just, first I continued doing it for myself and it was really therapeutic and healing in conjunction with all the other modalities that I was using. 
And then I decided to get trained in it. And I, so I, I did trainings um, to facilitate. And since then, I, the way that I hold space, I'm just, there's a lot of layers to it that is from the different modalities that I've learned and gifts that have opened up since doing this work. So my clairvoyance, um, I've been Reiki attuned, I've done theta healing. Um, so now my sessions are, my one-on-one -on -one sessions mainly are like a combination of like therapy with healing. If you're doing it in person with me, it's also like physical touch and aromatherapy and uh, vibrations. Uh, so there's a lot of layers to it and it's it's just fun to continue letting it evolve and to personalize it for what my client the type of support that they need and where they're at that's been so fun it's I'm, I'm just so grateful for it before that I was after PR <laughs> I, I remained in, in entertainment um, and I was doing commercial acting and like print work and all of that but I was ready for something just deeper. Like I, I've always, even when I was doing that, I was always volunteering or helping people out. Like being of service has always been really important for me. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered breath work, I felt like, oh, wow, this is a way that I can help a lot of people come back to their power mm -hmm. and feel like they can change themselves if they want to help heal themselves. And I want to teach other people how they can do that for themselves. I want that them to experience it. So that's how it has evolved. And I know it's going to continue to change and grow, but my offerings have already reflected that with my membership. And I also collaborate a lot where I invite a lot of guest healers because that's basically whatever I do, I share it with you. It's like, oh, meet this healer friend. She can teach you how to do this and mm -hmm. let's do this now. Because um, different modalities resonate with different people or they mm -hmm. help us kind of like take out another root or core that something else wasn't able to access. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fun to, again, like going back to my center and really honoring where I'm at in my healing journey which it always reflects back in the clients that I have and how can I serve them into meeting their current goals. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for the journey. It's been beautiful. Yeah. And you've been doing breath work for like six, six years. years. Mm -hmm. And how long before that was the facial? The facial was like two years before that. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I started to dabble in other modalities and then I came across breath work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's important to know, like when we first come into an awakening or an experience that awakens us is like it start you start to open up to all of these different modalities and it can feel somewhat overwhelming. Um, and I think especially now is like, you know, spirituality is becoming popular and capitalized mm -hmm. and, you know, mainstream it can feel like, you know, you want to do all of these things, but it's important to note that it's going to evolve as you evolve and you're going to be divinely led from one modality to another. And you might end up, you know, coming across a modality that, you know, will change your life and will become the way you are of service to the world. Like breathwork has been for you. When you experience your awakening, did you experience like, 
a somewhat of like a disassociation from like society and from your family because you started just feeling like you're just seeing the world differently. I always wanted to be meditating. <laughs> I would drop and just, I didn't even know where I went for hours. And I felt like I was home where I was in, when I was in a different plane. Mm-hmm. And I saw myself not wanting to come back because there was so much pain on this planet. And so I had to remind myself that right now I'm in the human form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to, uh, and that this is what I'm experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can take breaks, but one isn't better than the other. And, but yeah, when you first start, start to experience that, like, bliss and just unconditional love and peace it's like can feel addicting yeah yeah Um, and then coming back to experiencing life where yes there is suffering there are challenges but again recognizing that there's always a gift in it if we choose and there's an opportunity for us to grow and upgrade and learn and connect meet people so that helped to be okay with coming back. But I get really excited when I learn about something. So I want to share with everyone and I want them to experience it as well. Mm-hmm. So that was another time where I kind of had to manage expectations. And just because something worked for you or is you're excited about doesn't mean that it's for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is one of your most like, cherished experiences that you've shared with breathwork, like within yourself and your own experience? I'm really grateful that breathwork has helped me process a lot of grief that I've experienced Mm -hmm. from the ending of my marriage to the death of my dog. It just has allowed me to have a container where I'm able to process it, not from an intellectual place, but like a full body, soul, energetic place and that's been really healing and so I'm really grateful for that within my clients I've seen miracles happen I've seen instant manifestations um their whole energy changes and it's just it's so inspiring and it it makes me so happy Mm -hmm. that connecting with their breath has transformed their life as well Mm -hmm. do you have a favorite breathwork technique personally um i use a two-stage breathing practice where you're you breathe using your diaphragm and then your heart space your chest and then you exhale so it's a circular breath as soon as you exhale you go back to the breathing there's plenty of moments where you might forget to breathe or you feel like you're kind of drifting off and i always tell my clients my students i'm like that's okay we'll just kind of come back But doing that breathing technique, what I've also have noticed is that when I'm experiencing stressful situations out in the world, my body automatically drops down to breathing with my diaphragm. And so it, now I'm in a place where it automatically regulates itself, which has Mm -hmm. been another really beautiful gift where it's like, okay, my body knows what to do. And what that does is that in a really stressful maybe sometimes even dangerous situation, I'm able to 
um, respond to the situation instead of reacting from a place of fear or panic. Obviously, if you are in danger, like you don't want to be in that place, you want to be in the fight or flight mode. Yeah. Um, and you will stay there. But that's been just kind of a something cool as well that I've witnessed. It's like, oh, wow, like my body already, like it knows how to breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of times we forget to breathe or um, we do a lot of shallow breathing. But once you start to practice a regular breath work practice, um, it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I have loved about breath work is like, it's made me more consciously aware of like, my regular like day-to-day breathing patterns and I'll catch myself like oh my goodness my breathing is so shallow right now and then like I'll deepen it but I think what I've appreciated about breathwork the most is that it has been my greatest tool in bringing me back to the present moment because I really see it as like the portal to the present because when you're like conscious with a breath, you're like conscious within that very moment because our breath is never happening in the past or in the future. It's always happening right now. So whenever I'm like trying to reel myself back to the present, I'm like, okay, let me take some deep breaths because that will bring me back to the here and now. Mm. So cleansing. Yeah. You recently turned 41. Happy belated birthday. (laughs) How does it feel or like what reflections have been coming up for you or intentions um, as you were stepping into this new decade of your life? I'm starting to feel like a woman. And I think that's part of the journey that's tied back to healing the feminine mm-hmm. being safe in it mm-hmm. where I feel like even in my thirties, I was like, Oh, I don't want to get older or, and there's so much, you know, layers to that just because in our society, aging is not something that you want to do and you're no longer desirable and it's harder to get a job and this and that. But especially now that I'm 41, I had a whole year in my forties. I feel, I don't know. I just feel like more grounded Mm -hmm. and powerful and comfortable in my skin, I guess. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, And excited for, for the future and what I'm creating and calling into my life and continuing to step into my feminine and letting her lead as well. Mm-hmm. What do you feel are like some of the biggest lessons that you took away from your thirties? My thirties was healing for me. There was a lot of healing that happened and letting go. I did let go a lot of beliefs, people, situations, circumstances, jobs, titles, dreams that never realized and that's not easy to do again that's courageous and with that when you're releasing so much and healing so much you're going to a place of feeling like you don't know who you are I remember clearly a moment in one of my healing sessions where I was just 
crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. I've let go of that story. I feel like nothing's anchoring me. Mm. Like, and it felt really scary mm-hmm. and, and exposed. So my 30s were that. My 20s were just survival mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very courageous. Um, but I felt like I was running in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the survival of the 20s and the healing of the 30s, what do you intend to come of the 40s? Really desiring more ease. And one of the things that I've been working on for over a year since the pandemic started is teaching my body and breath work has helped me to do that. But I've been working with body workers to teach my body to feel safe resting. And I feel like this is another like immigrant programming where resting, you're being lazy. There's so much to do. Ponte a trabajar. All this guilt. It's such a privilege. And so for until recently, it was just like push, 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 push. And recently in the person that I have manifested into my life, who's able to hold this feminine energy has also given me the opportunity to lean into rest. Mm. And so I just experienced this weekend. It's like, wow, this is the first time where I'm doing like a weekend getaway and I'm not also working and feeling panicked that I'm not working and then I'm falling behind. Mm. And so that was an example of like, okay, I am healing that part. Like I am feeling safer in that and just trusting that it's okay to save, to, to, to rest, to not constantly be working. Um, so I'm craving more of that, but then also I'm feeling really creative and inspired and productive. So having a balance in both. Mm-hmm. I really, I'm working on pitching a TV show idea around the healing world. So that's a big project that I'm going to birth this year. And with that, recognizing that then I, that means I have to put some things on pause or, you know, shift my energy and attention so that I can hold space for that and work on that. Because in the past, I felt like I need to do all of it. Or if I'm not doing all of it, I'm letting people down or, and so I've had to check and heal my survival, not survival, my savior mentality and feeling like people can't do it without me. It's like, no, people can do life without you. Like check yourself, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And something also too, for me, like in checking my savior mode is realizing that when we're so quick to take on the responsibility for someone else or to save someone else in any any way, shape, or form, we're also disrupting their own life lessons and karmic cycles. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't want to get in the way of your learning. I don't want to get in the way of, you know, how you're being divinely led and guided. But I love how this, you know, I, I could have dove in into a whole conversation on just breath work, but I love that this conversation ended up unfolding as 
us getting to know more about Ana Lilia. And, you know, Doris has brought you up so much to me. And when I saw you at um, her birthday performance that she had, um, and she like shouted you out, and I saw you and you went up to her and you hugged her. I was like, oh my gosh, like this human has such a beautiful energy. Like you were emitting and radiating your energy. And I was like, wow, I, I told Doris after that when we when we got together, like, oh my gosh, she really has a super beautiful energy. And now kind of getting to know a bit more about you. Like I love I just I I honor how you're so your expression of self-love is manifesting like a fulfilled life and you have experienced so much and I can relate to a lot of your stories. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and to kind of like just bring this full circle. I feel called to ask you to share with those who are trying to manifest a fulfilled life are, you know, feeling just so different from others, you know, are feeling lost because they are starting to see the world differently. What words of affirmation would you gift them as someone who has been there, who is continuing to commit to manifesting this life of fulfillment? First of all, just thank you for your kind words. You made me cry. I'm like, oh my God, I feel so seen. Thank you for the love. <laughs> you may be feeling scared and lonely and misunderstood right now, but you're going to start to find your tribe, your new group of people, souls who are on a similar journey. Ask your angels, your guides to bring you support. And little by little, you just start to create your new community. And it's so beautiful to have that safety, that support, people who are able to reflect back to you, your thoughts, your view of the world. Um, and there's many of us out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And especially now with social media, like, you know, there's pros and cons to it. But it does allow for an easier way to spread information, to meet people. Um, I'm super available. You can DM me, you know, send me an email, whatever, any way that I can support you. We can hop on a call, you know. I, yeah, because I've been there and it was during a time where it felt more isolating. There wasn't all of this information necessarily online about this or on Instagram. But I also just want to celebrate you for your courage and for following your, your path and listening to your soul and being true to yourself. Because we need more of that in this life, in this planet. Like we need more love. We need bright light because there is so much pain out there. And when we do the work, it's a ripple effect. Our circle, immediate circle starts to get inspired, start to do their work, and it just spreads. And so I celebrate each and every one of you who are on this path. And 
I just also want to say I love you. <laughs> and I love you too, Jocelyn. Like, it's, thank you for this interview and for this podcast and for sharing stories of, of beautiful souls out in the world. Yeah. Other people not feel alone. Mm-hmm. Love received and reciprocated. 